1: Today's episode is brought to you by Studio Sweden. If you're looking for quality headphones that are not ridiculously expensive, look no further. Please stay tuned for more information for our exclusive promo code.
0: Days of a sudden dawn the last part
1: This is part two of the Furuta Junko case. If you haven't listened to part one yet, please go back and listen to the previous episode. If not, it might not make much sense. Please note that this case was extra disturbing due to the details and what was done to the victim. Please proceed with caution. Last week I told you the story of Junko's kidnapping and her 44 days of torture. This week, I'm going to start off by telling you a bit about the four teens that murdered her. Then I will discuss the arrest and the frustrating trial that followed her death. Here goes. Teen number one, Miyano Hiroshi, a.k.a. the main perpetrator, the ringleader. His family was quite well off, but he did not have a good relationship with his parents. His father worked in a securities company, and his mother was a piano teacher. He had one younger sister. His father was said to have spent all his time at his mistress's home instead of being at home with his wife and kids. Some sources said Hiroshi was not a problem child at first, but apparently as he got older, he started acting out. He practiced judo as a child and constantly came in first or second place in judo competitions. Everything took a turn when he started high school. It was said that the high school he attended was very strict and filled with corporal punishment when it came to judo practice, and he was constantly being picked on by his older classmates. He soon dropped out of judo and eventually dropped out of high school as a whole. He had a terrible temper at this point, and there was even an incident where he threw his mother to the ground and broke her ribs. His dream profession at one point was to be a director at a juvenile detention center, because he feels that he can somehow relate with the kids. His last name was changed from Miyano to Yokoyama. Teen number two, Ogura Joe. Joe was one year younger and one grade behind Hiroshi. Joe's parents did not get along and have been divorced since he was a child. He was initially raised by his mother. Joe did not really have any problems as a child, but it was said that he was being pushed back and forth between his parents. He felt that he did not belong anywhere, and neither one of his parents really wanted to have him around. His problems began as soon as he started high school. He had no interest in school and studying, so he was constantly absent. He was soon kicked out of school the same year he started high school. Then he began to work as an electrician. He met Hiroshi along the way and they became besties. His last name was later changed from Ogura to Kamisaku. Teen number 3 Minato Shinji Shinji was two years younger than Hiroshi. This boy grew up with a scary and strict father. If Shinji did not finish his chores and his homework, his father would reprimand him harshly and beat him. Many times he would be crying and running away from his father, Sometimes his father would even drag him out of the house in the middle of the night and force him to do laps in the park. Shinji and his older brother would endure at least one beating per week. Shinji's parents both belonged to a political party, so they both were generally quite highly regarded individuals. This is one of the reasons why they were so strict on their children and always asking for perfect grades and perfect behavior. So how did a well-behaved child with excellent grades get caught up in the shitstorm? Well, according to my research, Shinji's brother's bike was stolen and Shinji was trying to find it. He asked for help from one of the most notorious students at his school, as in Mr. Ringleader, Hiroshi. Since then, Hiroshi and Joe were constantly hanging around Shinji's house because his house was big enough to accommodate them and served as a good hangout spot. His parents began to drift from him because of the alleged ties to the Yakuza. Yep, they were afraid of their own son. Shinji was said to be the weakest of the four. He also went to high school but quit after just one week. Teen number four, Watanabe Yasushi. His parents were separated and later divorced when he was seven. His father passed away soon after the divorce. His mother worked at a beauty parlor and was always busy at work, so the responsibility of raising Yasushi fell on his older sister's shoulders. They were said to be very close. He, like the rest, also dropped out of school almost immediately after starting. Now it's time to take a look at what led to the arrest and what happened during the trial. A while after the murder, Hiroshi and Joe were both picked up by the police for raping a sex worker. Initially, they thought they were being arrested for Junko's murder, but once they heard what it was actually about, they sighed a sigh of relief and admitted to raping the poor woman back in December of 1988. But of course, they denied it at first, saying it was voluntary. The police got warrants to search both of their homes while the two of them sat in a juvenile detention center waiting for further notice. The investigator in charge of this case visited Hiroshi in March of 1989 at juvie and he held up a pair of women's underwear, something he found in Hiroshi's room and personal belongings. The investigator casually commented something along the lines of, Did you kill someone or something? This was a random and casual comment, but when Hiroshi heard this, he was a bit surprised and responded with, I'm sorry, I killed her. In other words, he made a confession out of a random misunderstanding. Hiroshi thought the police had already discovered Junko and their involvement, so he just gave in. The investigator was equally surprised as he wasn't expecting this. They began to look into his confession and were horrified at what they uncovered. Hiroshi confessed to killing Junko and also dragged his other three pals into his confession. Friends that killed together should definitely get arrested and do time together. They were kept in separate interrogation rooms, giving them each a chance to give their own version and details of what happened. The investigators assigned to this case took their confessions with a grain of salt. Could something this awful and disgusting actually be real? Could four teenagers really commit such atrocities? Nevertheless, they headed over to the garbage dump site in Wakasu just to make sure. They immediately saw a lone drum sitting in the dump area, and as the investigator got closer, he smelled a foul smell coming from it. He ordered a crane to retrieve it from the dump site, then put the drum in a truck and took it back for further examination. Before we go on, allow me to tell you more about Studio Sweden. It's already a given that most people listening to this use headphones. It really doesn't matter whether you prefer overhead ones or earbuds. Studio's got it covered. I have a thing for overhead styles, so obviously I got the Regent. It is perfect for music and podcasts and I even use it for work. You can use the cord or just connect it to any device via Bluetooth. I also don't have to worry about charging it every other second because it has an active battery life of at least 24 hours. Aside from the clarity and well-balanced sounds, the design itself is definitely a big plus. You can also personalize your Regent headphones caps as they are interchangeable so you can show off your taste and personality to the world. Right now, you can get a pair of headphones from Studio Sweden with free worldwide shipping and a 15% off your purchase. Finally, something that has free shipping worldwide and not just in the United States. Just enter the discount code ASIANMADNESS at checkout. Not only do these make great additions to your life, they also make great gifts. So go ahead and order some for your friends and family because we know how important podcasts and music can be. The next day, investigators opened up the drum and found the body of Junko wrapped in two quilts. At this point, she had been dead for more than two months, and her decomposition stage was already quite advanced. After thorough inspection, she was found to have severe internal bleeding in various places, and her face was so deformed and swollen that it was difficult to tell who she was just by looking at her face. She was identified by her fingerprints and the details from her disappearance. Investigators found several different male DNA on her, so aside from the 14s, they were also able to identify a couple others. Junko's parents were notified, and after hearing about their daughter's death and what she had to go through, Mrs. Furuta had to be admitted to a psychiatric hospital. I don't blame her at all, It's way too disturbing and not something any parent should ever have to hear. It was also said that Junko's father had quit his job after Junko's disappearance so he could go look for his daughter. I cannot imagine the distress of finally finding her. I don't even think I can call this closure. Now, let's move to the trial in 1990. As if everything before this wasn't shitty enough, get ready to hear more shit. The nature of the crime was definitely cruel and cold, no doubt. The 14s were technically still minors in Japan, so not at all surprisingly, they all received rather light sentences. Hiroshi was sentenced to 17 years in prison. Joe was sentenced to 5 to 10 years. Shinji was sentenced to 4 to 6 years. And Yasushi, who was considered the least involved, was sentenced to 3 to 4 years. So what does all this even mean? It means that they're pretty much all out of jail now, roaming the streets. Shinji's parents were definitely to blame as well. They lived in that house where the girl was being tortured. How they were able to turn a blind eye to this entire situation is just absolutely baffling. In an article I read analyzing the family, it pointed out that Shinji's mother came off as a proud woman who refused to acknowledge the situation. Instead of calling the police and ending her torture, she passively asked Junko to just go home. She then withdrew from everything that was happening, pretending nothing was wrong. She would rather have a girl die and tortured than to get into a fight or argument with her own son. Yep, that's pretty selfish, I would say. Once the trial was over, 99% of the population were not satisfied and continued to seek justice for Junko. The parents of Hiroshi and Shinji tried to reconcile and make it up to Junko's parents by apologizing and paying them money. Too late for your words and your cold hard cash though. I don't know how the other parents were like, but Shinji's parents really do not deserve sympathy. They could have changed the outcome. They could have saved her. Japanese media tried to interview Hiroshi's mother after the trial, and in a YouTube clip I saw, the reporter was basically cornering her as she tried to get away on her bike. It actually made me feel a lot of complicated emotions, because as awful and despicable as her son was, I actually feel a little bit of sympathy for her. The parents of the 14s all offered to go to Junko's grave to apologize, but were all rejected by Junko's parents. They kept the location of the grave a secret, hoping to keep the media and unwanted visitors away. One of the most important arguments during the trial was whether or not the teens meant to kill her. Did they really think she would not die eventually? How stupid are they? I'm pretty sure this is just an argument so they don't come off as cold-blooded murdering assholes and could probably get off with a lighter sentence. But somehow, at least in my opinion, torturing people really doesn't come off as any better. It's actually a lot more cruel than just killing someone. Three of the 14s tried to appeal their sentences, but the judge didn't seem to care much for them. He instead added on to their sentence. Hiroshi went from 17 to 20 years, Shinji went from a maximum of 6 years to 9 years, and Yasushi went from a maximum of 5 to 10 years. A bit of satisfaction right there. Of course, many people were angry that they didn't receive more time or even the death penalty. The trial caused a phenomenon known as, quote, Killing people won't get me the death penalty, end quote. Teen angst and teen crime spiked for a few years, but I can't say for sure that all of this is related. This case received so much public attention because nothing like this has ever happened in Japan. Japan is a safe country. Crazy cases like this just don't happen. Well, it happened, but it's very rare. The case of Furuta Junko obviously wasn't their first. Earlier in November of 1988, Hiroshi, Joe, and Shinji had abducted a 19-year-old girl heading home on her bike. They took her to a hotel and raped her, but they let her go. Once she was freed, she went to the police, but there was only so much they could do, as there were no cameras in that area, so no one was ever arrested for that. Quite disappointing and unfortunate. Hiroshi managed to get an early release because of good behavior. But both him and Joe managed to get their asses back in prison at one point or another. Joe, for violent crimes, and Hiroshi, for fraud. Ogura Jo, now known as Kamisaku Jo, was arrested in 2004. He beat up a guy called Takatoshi Isono because his love interest seemed to have taken a liking to Isono. In other words, he was jealous. Except instead of sulking and whatnot, he kidnapped Isono and beat the crap out of him for hours. He was sentenced to seven years, so he's out already. Hiroshi seems to be living life off the grid, away from the media. As for Shinji, he married a Romanian woman and is now living off the grid. Yasushi moved in with his sister and her family after being released and hasn't been up to anything else since. One thing to note, if you're a minor in Japan, it is usually prohibited to reveal your name and your personal information. That was the case for these four teens at first. But once media caught wind of who they were, they went ahead and published all their information. Many people were supportive of revealing all their personal information, stating that these aren't people, so they don't deserve any human rights. All four of them are now in their late 30s. If you live in Japan or plan on traveling to Japan, I sincerely hope you never run across these psychos. As a side note, There was a source that said that Hiroshi was at one point infatuated with Junko and asked her out before all this happened. She, of course, turned him down. They were from different worlds and she was not interested. The source I read stated that he targeted her because of this rejection. I'm not going to take this as fact as it only came up in one of my sources. As another side note, A couple sources said that the day Junko was finally beaten to death, it was Hiroshi playing mahjong with Junko. And when she won, he beat her to death. I went with the other sources on this for a couple reasons. For one thing, I highly doubt she was in any condition to play mahjong. I also wonder if she even knew how to play. But of course, I could be wrong. That's just my take on this specific detail. I mean, if you think about it, Junko must have been pretty disoriented and not very clear in the head. If she actually played mahjong and beat Hiroshi, of course he would be super angry because he literally lost to a girl and to someone who was beaten half to death. What a blow to his ego. So if you interpret it that way, I suppose that would make a lot of sense as well. This case also made an impact in pop culture. Movie wise, two were made in Japan, one in 1995 and one in 2004. The 1995 one was more of an exploitation film called Joshikose Konkrito Zume which literally translates to Concrete Encased High School Girl Murder Case. The 2004 movie was called Konkrito, literally meaning concrete. Manga-wise, a series came out with a storyline based on Junko's kidnapping and torture. The series is called 17 Years Old. It's very, very, very graphic. If you're interested in checking it out, I have a link to it. It's in English. Message me and I'll give you the link, but it's pretty messed up. I read somewhere that the artist changed the ending, making it a happy ending where the girl lives, but I don't know if that's true or not. I haven't read it. Junko's Misfortune also inspired a Japanese rock band called Gazette to write a song called Tayon, meaning Body Temperature. I will be playing the song at the end of this episode. An Indonesian singer by the name of Danila also dedicated a song to the memory of Furuta Junko, and it's a hauntingly beautiful song. That was the song you heard in the beginning of this episode, so if you did not catch that, please go back and listen to it. Or just look it up on YouTube. So, there you have it. The torture and murder of a 17-year-old girl. 44 days of torture, 44 days of anguish, 44 days of loneliness, and 44 days too long. As a person with a vivid imagination, I try to put myself in that mentality in that situation, imagining all the pain and all the suffering, I don't think it's something anyone can just imagine. As I said in the beginning of this episode, this case has a strong similarity to the Hello Kitty murder of Fanman Man Yi and the Sylvia Likens case. The Sylvia Likens case always gets my blood boiling. I hope everyone liked this two-part episode on Furuta Junko. I know some people decided to skip this because of its graphic nature, and that's totally fine with me. If you're interested in hearing more, though, be sure to check out Misconduct, Episode 39, Blood on the Rocks, Episode 11, and also Sword and Scale, Episode 70. Please be kind, be attentive, and stay safe.
0: to
1: Thank you for tuning in to the Asian Madness Podcast. Please help me by rating, reviewing this podcast. If you're on social media, please look for me under the handle Asian Madness Pod. If you have any comments or suggestions, do not hesitate to write me at AsianMadnessPod at gmail.com. I truly appreciate each and every one of you for being here. I am your host, Jessica. Till next time.